So in this lesson, we explore the mystical nature of the Hebrew word that translates into English as to bear or to bring good news. You could also say good tidings. Tidings is a bit of an older word. Now, in my title here, we're going to use the word mystical. But mystical doesn't mean something entirely not knowable. Mystical means that there's something actually there, but it may not be perceived right away through our normal senses or through our intellect, or it might not be perceived right away in the text. Things that are mystical are actually revealed to us. It's often through a process of learning. This is exactly like Jesus. He's the rabbi or the teacher, and he's teaching his disciples about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean that those disciples can never understand, but it's through the teaching and their spiritual development that the disciples begin to see the aspects of the kingdom of God that initially were hidden from them. They're actually a little bit, a lot confused. What kind of kingdom is this? But the disciples begin to have deeper insight into something profound. This is what we mean by mystical. On the surface, things may not seem related, but when we meditate on the word, we allow God to reveal it to us, we gain a deeper insight into the connectedness of Scripture, or in this case, we'll look today, this Hebrew word. So all of us on some level experience the mystical. Interactions with God are by definition mystical. Prayers are mystical. We don't know how they work, but we see them work. You know, we don't always understand our interactions with God, but then something happens where God reveals it to us. We grow. And so becoming a Christian, once we have the acknowledgement of God and Jesus as the Messiah, then we go on a process of spiritual growth. And that helps us to see deeper into the nature of God's kingdom as it's revealed to us. Okay, so that's what I mean by mystical. Now, the first thing we'll talk about is that Hebrew is the original language of the Bible and the Israelites. And what's more is that it is such a dynamic and very often a mystical language that when modern readers, particularly in our Western tradition, when we engage, start engaging the Hebrew at a deeper level, we're often surprised to see how deep the, either the Hebrew alphabet or the Hebrew words can take you into the scripture. Now, in the first century, the rabbis believed that the, that Hebrew alphabet and the subsequent words were created by God. And then, due to the nature of the Hebrew alphabet and, that lang and those words, they looked for the smallest differences in words or spellings to be able to see deeper into the mysteries of God's kingdom. So, every aspect of a word or words that sound alike or have a similar spelling or they're derived from the same root verb, we'll see that tonight. All of those aspects are significant, and they can lead you to a more profound understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, it's very much like in Matthew when Jesus says that not one jot or tittle will fall away. Now, here it says not the smallest letter that's in Greek and iota or part of a letter, but what he's talking about are the smallest aspects of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and those small aspects can often make a difference between one Hebrew word and another. 
So each letter, each word, since they're created by God, the rabbis believe that they contain the divine spark of the Creator Himself. And this divine spark can communicate profound truths about the nature of reality, of God's kingdom. And what happens is, unfortunately, that once you move away from Hebrew to a secondary language, first Greek, then Latin of the early church, and of course English today, you lose something. And every rabbi will say, or every rabbi will lament, I should say, that if you're studying the Old Testament only in English, you're missing something. And it's very true. So it really is well worth your time to do some basic studies of biblical Hebrew, right? Even if you go into some of the more ancient Hebrew writing, it's very pictorial. It's kind of cool because the letters are also symbols. So anyways, it actually can help you see deeper into the biblical text because that's the original language of God. Okay, now that is going to take us then to this Hebrew word that we translate to bring the good news, actually a Hebrew verb. So the thing about Hebrew is all Hebrew words are based on a verb root, usually a three-letter word that's a verb, and that becomes a root of all kinds of other words. So Hebrew is action-oriented. The language and by extension the culture are more concerned about action or function of something. Now, this is different than Greek culture. Greek culture is concerned with how something looks. The Bible rarely, if ever, describes what someone looks like. That's very Greek. That's a Western concern. This is why many Christians, they want to know what Jesus looked like. But the Bible is all about function and action. Instead of what Jesus looked like, you say, what's his function? So you go to his name, Yeshua. It means God's salvation or Yah will save. Yah, of course, is shorthand for God. So Jesus is fulfilling his function of God's salvation. Now, from every Hebrew verb root, you get nouns. And so what's really cool then is the nouns that are derived from that verb, what we find is that often at a very deep level, even if in English we look at it and say that's completely unrelated, what we notice is that there's often a very deep connection. Why? Because all of these words are derived from the same root, that God is the creator who put all this together, and so we can say, aha, these are all connected. Now let me give you an example. This is a video that we did on a Hebrew word that translates wilderness or desert. So we do have a video on this word. I put a link below in the show notes. And this is a Hebrew word, midbar. Midbar. And Midbar is a noun. It means wilderness, or we would say desert. But what verb does Midbar come from? Well, it comes from the verb Dabar, and that means to speak or to declare. So God Dabars. God speaks. And then you can see this whole list of nouns that goes down. All of those nouns are derived from the idea of the verb to speak. And so you get word, right? The debar of God is what God speaks. Get the word of God, a speech or a thing. Uh, you have pasture, that's a noun. Then you have oracle, that's the message that, you know, a prophet will speak. That's the message, it's an oracle. 
And then way down here at the bottom, you get this derivative that is wilderness, or we would say, again, desert. Now you look at that and you say, well, those aren't connected at all. In English, especially, they don't look related at all. They're completely different. But the rabbis say, no, 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 these are connected. Because the wilderness, where do you hear the word of God? Where do you go to hear the word of God speak the clearest? It's in the wilderness. It's in the desert. And maybe, the rabbis say, it's not a physical desert. Perhaps it's when you enter a desert time of life, a sickness, the loss of a loved one. The desert is a place where all of your comforts of life, so water, food, shelter, they're stripped away. And you have to rely solely on God. And so when you're in the desert, you hear his voice clearer. And of course, we go through desert times in our life when we have to lean on God. Right? I mean, why does God lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness? Because it's there. They have to learn to hear his word. And so the whole point is, is that in English, you would never put these words together and say they're related. But on a very deep, even mystical level, they're totally related. Okay? That's just one example. Now let's go to the Hebrew word to bring the good news, basar. So when we go here, you'd start with your verb. And you would say, now here's what it looks like. It's bet, sin, and resh. Those are the three consonants that make up the verb to bring good news. Now what's interesting is the noun is spelled exactly the same, but you get one little vowel difference. So that little that one little difference in spelling, if you compare the two, that's the difference between a verb and a noun. Now, one thing you have to realize, in the first century, there were no vowel points on the Hebrew words. That's developed later. So Jesus would not have known the vowel. The listener or the reader, they have to judge based on the context of the situation or the sentence, and then decide for themselves which word the speaker or the writer intended. Now, because there would be small minor differences in vowels, if you're listening, you could tell. If we were to look at what would it look like in the first century, well, they would just look like this. Three consonants. That's all you would have. No vowel. Okay? So that's basar to bring the good news, and then you get the nouns. Well, what nouns do we get from it? Well, we've got the verb there, basar, to bring the good news. One noun that comes out of this, and this would make sense, basora, that's actually the message. You're bringing the good news. What are you bringing? Well, it's the message of good news. So that one kind of makes sense. It's the thing you're bringing. But the other one, and it's the only other one, it's these two that show up as nouns. The other one is basar, pronounced almost exactly the same. And that one means flesh. Now, this could be flesh or skin or meat, but flesh. That seems a little bit strange, doesn't it? It actually, it seems strange and completely unrelated to good news. But are they unrelated? So if we compare these two, we put them next to each other and we say, what does bringing the good news have to do with flesh? Are these related? 
And so there's two things I'd have you think about. First of all, how is the good news of God's kingdom reign delivered to us? It's in the flesh. Somebody, someone has to bring the good news to you. And Paul says this in Romans. It's Romans 10, 14. Paul says, look, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching to them? So somebody has to bring the good news of God's kingdom. And then the very next sentence, and how will they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of peace, who bring good news of good tidings. So he quotes Isaiah about the good news, which also Basar flesh. Now, we then, we bring the good news. We engage the world with good news, one-on-one, one person at a time. In the flesh, we become conveyors of the reality of God's kingdom. Now, that's just one aspect here, but there's a different one. I think it's a bit deeper and a bit more mystical when we think about the nature of God's kingdom. I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. The good news is about the kingdom of God, and God is sharing the throne with one like the Son of Man. That's from Daniel 7. And then, when the kingdom manifests itself here on earth, the king, the Son of Man, he arrives in the flesh. It's the incarnation. It's the good news of the incarnation that God incarnated in the flesh and he is reigning. John says at the beginning of his gospel, it's John 1.14, he says, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, what's cool about this, right? Jesus is given the name Yeshua, Jesus. God's salvation because he will save his people from their sins. But Matthew also says he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So he is God who's with us, who wants to dwell among us in the flesh. And he's also the God who has the power to save you from your sins. Now, John's writing in Greek, but he's a Jewish disciple. He's thinking Hebrew, and if you think about what this would be in Hebrew, the word Dabar became flesh, basar, and made his dwelling among us. Now, one last scripture verse here, Isaiah 40, verse 9. This is another point in Isaiah where the word for good news is used. He says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, you're the herald of the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Now, why? Why is this? This is the point where Isaiah is announcing the return of the king to Jerusalem, right? Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, it's an interjection. It demands your attention. Look, see. Think about John. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This perfectly describes Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. Look, behold, the good news, Basar, 
is here, it's your God in the flesh, Basar. So there's a deep and profound connection between the verb to bring the good news and flesh. It's about the good news of the kingdom of God. It's being inaugurated with God in the flesh. We need to have eyes to see and ears to hear the mystical ways that God speaks, debar his word, debar to us. And God wants to dwell with us in the flesh, Basar, and that is good news, Basar. <laughs>